Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's been a day for me. It's been a bit of a day. I uh, hope you all are doing well. Uh, we are going to pick back up with our landmark series where we look at uh, important clinical trials from the past. And I know uh, what you may be asking yourself, why do we keep going back and looking at these things from the past? And at least for me, uh, that's how I put current things in perspective. We're in an era where they are just tons and tons of new drugs. I gave a talk last week and there's a, I use the term, there's an avalanche of oral oncolytics. You know, there's so many new drugs coming out. And I think it's useful to go back to the past and look at certain studies and publications to put things in perspective in today's uh, environment. Uh, so going by the ASCO Cancer Progress timeline, we, we're gotten, we've gotten, we, we've reached the point uh, in the late 80s where tamoxifen comes onto the scene. Uh, so 83 and 88 are the dates in the ASCO Cancer Progress timeline where they talk about tamoxifen having a role in the adjuvant treatment of breast cancer. I took a little bit of different path with this because there's so much to talk about with breast cancer that I'm actually going to do uh, a study uh, that was not practice changing. And I think and I hope that this uh, is enlightening when we think about um, uh, looking at the study and what it, it, it didn't tell us and put that in perspective in today's uh, oncology milieu. So this is the NSABP 14, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1981, July 2nd. First author, Bernard Fisher, Bernie Fisher, uh, uh, surgical oncologist from Pittsburgh, um, famous uh, breast cancer uh, researcher, um, kind of best known apparently for one of the uh, the meetings uh, and advocating for a limited surgical approach for breast cancer. So instead of doing the, the whole Halstead mastectomy, doing a more limited mastectomy and still being good, the idea being that this is not just a local disease uh, and you can do a more conserving surgery and still work. That was his approach. That's what kind of got him to fame. So uh, the NSABP is the National Surgical Adjuvant Breast and Bowel Project. Uh, and the first th thing they did was they looked at some adjuvant chemo. So they were looking at L-phenylalanine mustard, which is melphalan compared that to 5-FU, compared them both to 1, added methotrexate. So they're looking at adjuvant chemo in the NSABP-14 study. Um, and this is 1981. I mean, this is almost 40 years ago, but 1981 doesn't seem that long ago to put this in perspective. I was born in 83, so I was born two years after this was published. Uh, they are looking at uh, breast cancer patients who had surgery, and uh, these patients were accrued from 1977 to 1980. Um, and they get about 1,900 patients, and they are randomized to either melphalan and um, fluorouracil or melphalan, fluorouracil, and tamoxifen for two years. And the chemo was every six weeks because melphalan's pretty myelosuppressive. So uh, they were given four milligrams per uh, meter square of melphalan. Um, PO for five days of a six-day cycle, fluorouracil 300 milligrams per meter squared, IV on days one through five, uh, and then tamoxifen 10 milligrams BID uh, for two years, uh, and they got 17 cycles, six weeks apart, so that's about two years. So that's right then and there, this is 1981, this is a New England Journal of Medicine publication, and the cutting edge question was, adjuvant chemo for two years versus adjuvant chemo and concurrent adjuvant hormonal therapy for two years. That was the, that was the question. 
uh, in the late 70s in breast cancer. Um, so it gives you an idea of how far we've come because currently we don't do two years of chemo. We don't do two years of adjuvant uh, tamoxifen and we don't do hormonal therapy and chemotherapy together. Um, so uh, these were all node positive patients uh, and it's about 50-50 uh, age-wise. Um, uh, maybe a little bit more people over the age of 50. So they use 50 as kind of a cutoff. So it's about 57% over the age of 50, 42% under the age of 50. And uh, I won't go into uh, a lot of details, but one thing that I, I will say is that these patients were not all ER or PR positive or negative. In fact, progesterone receptor was not something that was even discussed in this study. And they're not looking at estrogen receptor status, they're looking at concentrations of cytosol estrogen receptor. Um, so again, it's a different world back in 1981. Uh, so uh, what they found is that women over the age of 50 had a benefit to adding tamoxifen to, uh, to chemotherapy. Um, especially those who had more than 10 um, F mole, and I don't know what F stands for, but whatever the concentration is, um, basically more estrogen receptor uh, status, there was even greater benefit, and there was even greater benefit if you had more than four positive lymph nodes. So over the age of 50, in the late 70s, women who got melphalan and fluorouracil and tamoxifen for two years did better than those who just received chemo. Those under the age of 49, there was no benefit of adding tamoxifen to two years of chemo with melphalan and fluorouracil. That's what we took away from this. So you have, and those under the age of 50, it didn't matter necessarily uh, what their estrogen receptor status was. So there are a couple things to take away from this uh, with breast cancer, and then we'll talk about larger lessons from that. So uh, the first thing is the idea of therapeutic antagonism. Chemotherapy kills rapidly dividing cells. The idea behind adjuvant chemo is there might be micrometastatic disease, and because it's small, it's going to be fast growing and more susceptible to chemo. Um, what does tamoxifen do to breast cancer cells? Well, it prevents it from growing, and therefore, if you gave tamoxifen and put breast cancer cells that are micrometastatic into the G0 phase or quiescent, they would not be dividing, therefore chemo would not work. And that's probably what we see in these women under the age of 50, is that those women under the age of 50, we know younger women tend to have more ER and PR negative disease, uh, they tend to have more aggressive disease, and younger ones are usually the patients who benefit from adjuvant chemo compared to older women. But yet in this study, um, the younger women did not benefit from uh, adding tamoxifen, even if they had higher levels of estrogen receptor probably because they really needed that chemo benefit, but that chemo benefit was not able to be as much as it could have been because tamoxifen was preventing the chemo from work as well. And that's the reason, and we know this from subsequent studies, that giving hormonal therapy and chemo at the same time does not work, and in fact, can be detrimental to overall survival. But the women over the age of 50, they did better when you added tamoxifen, and that's probably because older women with breast cancer, the disease is more hormonally driven, um, and therefore they were getting the benefit of the tamoxifen uh, because they got it for two years and they didn't necessarily get uh, as much benefit uh, from the chemotherapy. Um, the other, so there's this idea that we had a mis, not a misunderstanding, but 
really a just uh, superficial understanding of breast cancer at this point and not knowing the dynamics between uh, the importance of hormonal therapy um, with regards to chemotherapy and how to sequence those versus giving them concurrently. And that's something that we learned, uh, we learned later on. We also learned later on um, the, uh, the relative time required for adjuvant chemo, the time necessary for adjuvant hormonal treatment. All of these things were discoveries that would come later. And there's so much about breast cancer, we're probably going to go through and do a landmark podcast bit by bit through all of these. So we're going to go through this because there's so much to, to know and so much background from breast cancer. Um, Another takeaway from this has to do with biomarkers. We, talked a lot, we talk a lot about biomarkers these days and how can we predict who's going to respond to nivolumab with this cancer or that cancer. Uh, it took us a while to figure out uh, who are the best patients to receive EGFR antagonists with lung cancer. And it was the same thing with breast cancer and tamoxifen. It took us a while to figure out that you had to have an estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor to benefit from tamoxifen. It also took us a while to figure out what was the optimal time of adjuvant tamoxifen. It's a question that, that's still today. Um, you know, there, there's a, a great, um, they don't call it a meta-analysis, but that's what it is in Lancet in 86, looking at one, two, or five years of tamoxifen. And, you know, there's like a 20% benefit for one year of tamoxifen, a 20% improvement, uh, 29%, almost a 50% improvement with five years. Um, and we know that 10 years now has uh, a little bit more benefit over five years. All these things took a lot of time to learn uh, with breast cancer. So there's, uh, I think, um, it, it's interesting to go back and look at this study that was the very first study in this issue in angiodrome medicine. So relatively big study at the time by really a legendary um, cancer researcher and surgical oncologist. And it in almost no way resembles how breast cancer is treated today. Uh, there's no, there was no testing of ER, PR, certainly not HER2. Uh, and we were giving some drugs together that, quite frankly, made the chemotherapy less effective by giving tamoxifen with the chemotherapy. Uh, that's why we don't give chemo together uh, to, with uh, hormonal therapy to this day. So um, keep that in mind when we see a new drug that's approved, um, that targets something that we're not quite sure how important it is in that disease state other than to know that that pathway is overexpressed or dysregulated. Uh, as we learn more and more about the biology of those specific cancers, we'll better be able, we should better be able to figure out who are the patients to benefit the, uh, the most from this. So uh, this is a short pod. I've been getting a little lengthy lately, so try to keep this short. Uh, we're gonna come back um, again next week uh, um, probably doing a little bit of a catch-up. There have been some new things coming out with blentumab, uh, kind of a, a, a unique approval for uh, Avrolimus. Uh, Rucaparib's got the same approval of Laparib, so we'll talk about some of that stuff uh, and probably do an updates uh, pod next week. Well, anyway, thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you all a little further down the road. Thank you.